Thank you for listening. This is Israel Rebound, a podcast joining listeners around the world to Israel, exploring the ties that bind us through culture, identity, and current events. I'm Alan Potash in California, and I'm joined with my friend and co-host Liz Felstrin in Jerusalem. Good to see you, Liz. Hello, friend and co-host Alan. Good to see you too. Uh, we have uh, a lot to discuss today, uh, as we do every week. And um, I, I'm excited, on one hand, to just engage in conversation with you, because being so far away from Israel, I look at things from my lens. And one of the benefits of this podcast is I get to hear from you from your lens, how you see things taking place in Israel and around the world. And last Friday, the uh, International Court of Justice in The Hague came out with their preliminary ruling whether or not the charge from South Africa about Israel uh, creating a genocide in Gaza was a legitimate case. Now, they, as you know, they came out with their ruling. They didn't quite say anything to claim one way or the other. They just said, okay, Israel, you know, you have to cut back on some of your things and provide more humanitarian aid. But the part that puzzled and, me... And they, they stated, I believe, that there is some plausibility to the claim that Israel might be engaging in genocide, right? They they could have thrown it out entirely. They could have said there is there's nothing here, but that is not what they said. They said, in fact, there is enough plausibility that it is worth investigating further. Right. And thank you for correcting my analysis. Uh, I didn't want to be upfront about it like that. But that's the case <laughs> uh, because I was Sorry I was, for being I was so upfront. No, because I was leaning to criticism that their first comments should have been um, the immediate release of hostages by Hamas. And why why do I say it like that? Is there wouldn't be this case right now if Hamas had not infiltrated, attacked Israel on October the seventh. So October the seventh, you know Hamas raided Israel, killed 1,200 innocent people, slaughtered, did all sorts of terrible things uh, with the genocidal approach. And in that doing so, they kidnapped hijack, er, hostages of over 240, and that barely came out of the judgment or the ruling. And so I'm a yeah. little... Which, I mean, look, on some level, I can understand it, right? The what preceded a, a genocide, if it were, right, in the case where we're talking about an, an actual genocide, what preceded it doesn't change whether that act is genocide or not, right? If one people is actively trying to eradicate some other people, the reasons why they're doing it shouldn't matter. Um, so. So I can understand the court wanting to make that separation. But I think, in in my opinion, I don't think there's any plausibility to the claim of that Israel is trying to commit genocide. Um, so it doesn't matter whether, you know, to my mind, I, I don't think we need to talk about what happens on October 7th and why Israel's doing what it's doing, what it's doing does not amount to genocide, in my opinion. Clearly, 
as the world goes, I'm in the minority, and certainly as the International Court of Justice goes. Well, that I think that's part of the debate that Israel needs to get uh, in front of, uh, is the fact that, um, and again, the ruling came out on January 26th, the day before uh, the International Holocaust Remembrance Day. Is there a connection there? Uh, does the world stand up and stand in support of Israel uh, on the world stage? It doesn't look like it does. And then the new, you know, continuing information coming out about the the Court of Justice and who the justices are, the fact that it was 15 to 2 uh, says a lot. Um, and then the two descending uh, judges, one was from... Uganda and one represented Israel. So, mm -hmm. and again, I, I'd want to like to look at who those 15 judges are and where they come from and what, what experience do their countries have in perpetrating or defending genocide. So that that's me getting, you know, hot and bothered by who are these people pointing fingers at Israel and not at themselves. Yeah. And, you know, I guess, ideally, we would all like to think that the United Nations, for example, as an international body, is meant to be fair and just and impartial, but we know that that is not the case, right? They, The UN has been very strongly anti-Israel for, for a long time, has brought charges against Israel, you know, more than all of the other countries of the world combined. Um, so we we knew that. I think on some level, we would have even more expectation of a judicial body to be fair and impartial. And to my mind, that seems to also not be the case, right? It should not matter where these 15 judges are from because they're not supposed to be making decisions based on their personal politics or allegiances, right? A judge, a judge is supposed to be above all of that. It's their job to be impartial. Um, yeah, I, I look, at yeah. I, I agree with that's kind of why I made my comment I did. You would hope that they're impartial, but when we know that, the, that many countries around the world um, are not willing or comfortable standing up and supporting Israel, it's not a surprise that these 15 judges from around the world are using their their positions, hopefully, in a neutral way, but I have a hard time believing that. Yeah, yeah. I can say that uh, in true Israel fashion, we are big fans of people who are fans of us, I would say, maybe because they're so few and far between. Um, and the 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 second justice that you mentioned, who uh, who did not vote against Israel like all of the other fifteen, um, is from Uganda. I think her name is. I'm going to mispronounce it, but it's Julia something or other, Sebutinde, uh, something like that. Um, and she made a lot of headlines in Israel, right? Israelis were very curious to know who is this 
person who is not an Israeli and, you know, supported Israel in this particular case. So that was definitely something that people were reading about and talking about. Um, Yeah. And I think Uganda has not been particularly happy with her after her views were made public. No. um, And there's been quite a bit of, um, I wouldn't say animosity, but criticism of her and they've asked to remove her uh from her role uh, the the Jerusalem post did do a feature on her on saturday um people can go to that article and see um her her little the little story they did on her but her dissenting view she argued that the core of the dispute was fundamentally political not legal and asserted the absence of a credible indication of genocide intent by Israel. So that's what you and I just said. So she is in full agreement with us. Mm-hmm. And she's also the first African woman to serve on the court. Um, you know, so uh, it's interesting. I look at these these international issues are all very interesting because you and I have our lens and support for Israel, although we're also, we can be at times critical of things about Israel, but when we see that the world is not even open to seeing the reality on the ground uh, in Israel and in Gaza and that Hamas has been the ruling government basically in Gaza, that, you know, Israel is being undermined by the international world. The world is international, yeah. so that's a redundancy. No, I would also, I would like to think and say that, yes, you and I can and can be and are critical of Israel at times. Um, but the accusation of genocide is just so outrageous, right? To think that, to, that that is a goal of Israel. Um, if Israel wanted to get rid of all of the people of Gaza, we wouldn't have needed this war to start for us to do that, right? It could have been done a long time ago, many different ways, without Israel bending over backwards to save civilian lives. I mean, it's it's a preposterous claim. Right. And and I, yeah. Yeah. And for so all and for so many of these judges to say, hmm, could be, let's hear more about that is like it's hard to wrap one's head around. And some of the criticism of the current coalition and Prime Minister Netanyahu uh, that uh, Israel had been in communication with Qatar about transferring money to Hamas for humanitarian needs. I mean, that's been going on for years. So mm-hmm. Israel has has had the intention for many, many, many years to support the humanitarian needs of the people of Gaza. And that's being completely ignored. Um, as again, I'm going to go back to October the 7th. October the 6th, there were no issues that were coming before the International Court of Justice and all and October 8th in the rapid nature of South Africa's work, they were already in the process, even before uh, ground forces entered into Israel, were 
developing their strategy to attack Israel. Is that true? I did not. I had not heard that. I, 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 I can't. I, I would have to find. I'd have to find my source. Uh, and if okay. I source, um, I think it was just. Um, it was. It was. I believe it was submitted on December the nineteenth. So there had to have been some. Um, let me go back. Uh, I, sh I was pretty loose with my comment there. Uh, oh, I see. Okay, it was a broad statement. It was a broad, and I'm not. I'm not quoting anything yet. I'd like to, you know, I'm happy to quote when I can find the right source. But uh, it look at the the feedback has been that um, the criticism about Israel uh, has been significant from the early days of the conflict. Mm -hmm. After October yeah. 7th, when there hasn't been equal criticism of other sources. We could probably talk quite a bit more about the ICJ. I think the fact that it is a preliminary ruling or a decision, we have to wait and see what happens. But I, I want to throw something else out there. I don't have the dossier in front of me, but I read in today's Wall Street Journal about. Uh, an issue with UNRWA, the United Nations Relief Workers Agency, that uh, has been providing the aid to Palestinians for 75 years, uh, that several of their um, staff uh, participated in October the 7th. Again, that's a, a, a report out of the Wall Street Journal, still in investigative stages, but I think it's an important conversation to have knowing that uh, the UN has been an active critic of Israel. And here we have an example of maybe the United Nations not doing everything in their best interest for the Palestinians. I mean, look, I, so as you said, right, these accusations are not yet confirmed. We don't exactly know if you know how valid they are but either way i think we do know that the employees of unra of the united nations in gaza the majority of them are locals these aren't you know people coming from elsewhere out of the goodness of their hearts to run, you know, schools in Gaza. There are some like that, but most of their staff are local. And we also know that most of the people in Gaza have supported Hamas to one extent or another. So it sort of stands to reason that, right, you're going to have some overlap there, that the two are not mutually exclusive, that the fact that you work for this UN entity doesn't exempt you from supporting Hamas. So, so I think it's it's not surprising. But I would hope that should these accusations be proven factual, that it would shine a light and help people, you know, around the world to really understand the complexities of what has been going on in Gaza for a very long time, and that 
not everything is as it seems, right? A school isn't always just a school. A humanitarian aid worker isn't always just a humanitarian aid worker that that um that people and places are have all to a large extent been commandeered for terrorist purposes because that's who's been running the whole area. Um, so, you know, I, I would hope that should these accusations again, prove to be true, that that could have an impact on how the larger world, you know, is able to understand what this, what the situation in Gaza is. Do you think it would be in our best interest to do a session of Israel Rebound, just discussing what UNRWA is and what their goals are. I'm going to share with you quickly uh, an article I found today by Dr. Einat Wolf, Wolf, who was a former member of Knesset, and she did a paper on, uh, in September of 2013, UNRWA, an obstacle to peace, with a question mark. Mm -hmm. Just to give people a, an understanding, UNRWA, the organization created specifically to handle the Arab refugees from Palestine from the 1947-1948 Arab-Israeli War, has collaborated with the Arab world um, with a refusal to settle refugees. And I think that's been one of the, the challenges for somebody from the outside looking in. Why are the Palestinians continuously viewed as refugees, where in other situations where individuals have had to flee their countries, they're refugees until they're settled in their new country. Mm -hmm. And by prolonging this, the refugee status for so long now, none of those refugees are the original people who took refuge or had to relocate or anything like that, right? We're now talking one, two generations later, it makes it much more complicated. If the situation had been dealt with in its inf infancy, so then, okay, you can come up with a reasonable agreement of a certain number of people being repatriated, a certain number of people being taken in by, you know, X, Y, and Z neighboring countries. All those things can happen. But now you have people that to make the connection to exactly where they might still have some claim to be repatriated is much harder to do because it's more generations later. Other people have, you know, been now living in those places for a very long time. And the population itself of Gaza has grown so dramatically that to, you know, to come up with a solution is all the much more complicated. It is a it is a terrible thing that has happened to the people of Gaza, which does not make it okay to attack Israel, but it is a terrible thing. So I, it's our time is about up, but you just touched on something that's very, very critical to this, and that's the fact that um, UNRWA has perpetuated these, this idea, we would not call it an idea, that at some point in time, the Palestinians will be able to return to the land of, of Israel and take it over. So basically, this is where my lack of, of knowledge of Hamas and UNRWA together uh, comes in. And, and the amateur 
uh, world affairs person or foreign affairs person that I am, I'm looking at UNRWA's goal of perpetuating the refugee status and Hamas saying, well, let's just take over Israel in any means possible and then we're freeing uh, the people of Gaza by attacking and taking over Israel. So Hamas's charter is very clear. It wants to get rid of the land of Israel, uh, of Jews and of Israelis, and to allow the Palestinians back there. So it's in a perpetual state of conflict, which we've seen since 1948. A perpetual state of conflict, yes. I don't know enough about, you know, UNRWA's stated aims. So you're right, maybe doing an episode just on that would would make sense, right? I, I don't think that they explicitly say that their goal is to perpetuate the refugee situation. Um, rather the, the accusation is that, you know, like of that article, for example, that you referenced from 10 years ago, that, you know, are they, uh, uh, even by not having that be their stated goal, are they somehow forming an obstacle to a solution because they're, you know, giving people just enough of sort of the basics to demotivate them to find some other solution and not and and UNRWA itself is not working toward a specific solution and so that's why you wind up with this situation that just is stagnant that there's no movement and the longer that goes the less hope there is of any solution i am um, <clears throat> but to what extent exactly what they would say their stated goal is right like does UNRWA make statements about how they think there should be a resolution to the Palestinian refugee issue or not, I don't know. That we could we'd have to look up. Well, I think this is a great place for us to end today. And with the unknown. Yeah. And with the unknown. Uh, for, further, for further discussion into the future. I, I do think that it, this is part of the serious issue that Israel has had to struggle with since its founding, is to know that you've got this organization that is, in my understanding, is not settling or resettling its refugees as they have, as other organizations have over the years, uh, to be able to move on with their um, life. So, um, any other final thoughts or words before we conclude today? Nope. Just thanking everyone for listening in. Yes, thank you all for listening. This has been Israel Rebound, a podcast bringing all sorts of insight into current events around Israel and the world. Thank you very much, Liz. Good seeing you again. Thanks, Alan. Thanks, everyone.